Okay, let's take a look at Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. I want to start out by reading it. So we've spent a lot of time getting to the place before we take a look at the verses themselves. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. So, the words. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Does that really mean what it sounds like it means? Now, we must not forget, and that's why we spent a month and a half or so of Sundays to look at the beginning of the Bible because the beginning of the Bible never grows old and never gets stale and never loses its authority. So the beginning of the Bible, in chapter 1, we saw creation. God made all of us in his image and according to his likeness, male and female. Then we saw in chapter 2, marriage and God's design for human society. And <clears throat> the man was alone, and God brought a companion to him, and we saw there that there's a difference in roles and responsibilities between the men and the women of society. And that's more than mere anatomy. We've seen that. So Let's go ahead and look further at what the Bible says about this. We've seen the one place. Now look at the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3. So go a couple of letters over it and look at Colossians chapter 3. So God made the man and the woman equal in terms of glory and honor and virtue and worth and value, but different, more than anatomy, difference in roles and responsibilities, and it appears that God has made the man the head. So in Colossians 3.18, this is a, a letter that has a similar pattern to Ephesians. And when we get to the same place where Paul addresses human relationships, we find verse 18, Colossians 3, verse 18, and there, same word, submit, Wives, submit to your own husbands, and again, the emphasis on Jesus, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, Peter then also mentions this as we read 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's take a look at that as well. And Peter does not um, relate, interestingly, does not relate this to the Jesus and the church uh, specifically, but he relates it to the example of Jesus. So take a look at 1 Peter 3. And we'll look again at verses 1 to 6. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Again, submissive, same word. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So in other words, the idea being by fear is the way the wife behaves is because of her relationship to the Lord, her faith in the Lord, her regard for God's word, God's truth, God's design. Uh, 
Verse 3, don't let, your outward, don't let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, looking back to the saints that came before, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. Notice holy women created in the image of God, according to his likeness, so they are holy as well. Holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive, that's the same word, to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And again, I want to point out something. Verse 1, be submissive to your own husbands. Then I'm going to point it out again in verse 5 being submissive to their own husbands. I'll make a point of that in a minute. just want to point that out. Now, one other place, and we pretty much looked at all the main passages that address this subject, husbands and wives, and it's Titus chapter 2. I'm sorry. Yeah, Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> it's Titus chapter 2. So you'll turn back to that. I want to point this out as well, because it, it really has bearing on the roles and responsibilities, how God divides that up. Titus chapter 2. Oh, I'm so sorry. Would you go back to 1 Peter 3? Sorry about that. I wanted to point this out because I think it's vital. I asked us to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11, right, in the reading, to chapter 3, verse 7. Okay. The reason I did that was not so I would have enough scripture for us to read together, but so that you could see the context. Because... In, in this place, um, the context for the wife being submissive to the husband is the context of Christ being submissive to God the Father in fulfilling his role as our Savior who came into the world to die for our sins. So in, in, uh, back to uh, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from flesh, fleshly lusts which war against the soul. All right, so in other words, we're in a war as we live in a world that has fallen, so we've, we've got to be pilgrims. This is not our home. And then he says in verse 13, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Here it is, for the Lord's sake. <clears throat> so in a created world, submission is normative. Because there's a God who created us, so we're not, um, we're not freewheeling, independent creatures who just popped into existence or made ourselves. There is a God. He made us. He made us presumably with a purpose. When we have the Bible, well, we now we do know that he has a purpose, and he's given us his reason for making us, and so on and so forth. So we can't just do what we want to do, be what we want to be, go where we want to go. And you know, That's what the atheists say. Well, you just popped into existence. You evolved. So if you're going to have a purpose, you've got to figure it out on your own because there's no authority out there. There's no God out there who gives you a purpose for living. No, 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 no. God made us. God's given us a purpose. So part of that is that God has structured in human society hierarchy. And, and that's what he's talking about there in verse 13. But then in verse 18, we see another area. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Um, and then take a look at um, verse 21. For to this you were called. Submission. Obedience. 
recognizing those in authority, even if we don't like them and don't agree with them. And here's why. Verse um, 21, for to this you were called, why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Then it talks about when he suffered, he didn't snap out, he didn't get angry, he didn't blast everybody to smithereens, he submitted to his father to pay for our sins. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, see the word there? Likewise. Just like Jesus. So this is not demeaning. It was not demeaning for Jesus to submit himself to the cross. Because in Philippians 2, look at verse 11. It tracks how Jesus humbled himself to the Father, and after he finished the Father's, uh, Father's will, then he was raised from the dead and highly exalted. He was placed at the highest level, and he is given a name, was given a name that is above every name, right? That at his name, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So I take it from that, that a faithful wife one day will not only receive the praise of her husband and children, and sometimes that's missing, unfortunately, but will be praised by God on high when Jesus returns to give praise to all his, his, his beloved and faithful sons and daughters. So again, Jesus is the model. He's the example. He's the reason why we do what we do. When we read something in the Bible and go, oh, that's hard. Or I don't like that so much. But we say, okay, Jesus, you suffered and died for me. And I don't fully grasp everything, don't get it all, but I'm looking at you, Lord Jesus, and I see what you did for me. And you are the model for all of us human beings. So trying to put all of this together in the near context. We looked at the far context, Genesis. Now we're looking at the near context, context the New Testament. So now Titus chapter 2, please, sorry. Now Titus was sent to the church here in Crete in order to ordain elders and to um, provide order and structure for the local church there. So he's doing that. Paul is giving him instruction. So chapter 2 here, verse 1. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Now look at this that the older women may admonish the younger women, the young women, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste. That doesn't mean chaste around the room. That means pure. Although husbands, uh, you might think about that once in a while. Homemakers, there, there it is, homemakers. Well, the woman's um, important role of making a house a home, giving a family a home, nurturing safety, peace, um, nourishment, nurture, and then good, obedient to their own husbands, and that's our word again, this could be submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, I haven't mentioned this back in First Peter too much, and I'll just say something in passing here. Again, another reason for this is so that the world can see God's design for human society, and that as we fulfill our roles, happily and obediently, then the world gets to see something it doesn't have and can't have apart from faith in Jesus Christ. So our lives count not only 
because this is, well, we want to we follow your will, Lord. But they count because we have a witness to maintain. We are ambassadors of the Lord. We uh, are an example to the world. The world's out there looking for fun and games and fulfillment and, and happiness and joy. And as long as they don't come to Christ, they will be forever pursuing it and ending up in everlasting misery. But you can see then, we've looked at all the major passages here in the New Testament. So, interesting, we go back to Ephesians 5, and it's only in Ephesians where marriage is directly tied back to God's plan of salvation. In fact, it really turns out that Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 uh, when Paul gets finished toward the end of Ephesians, the Ephesians passage, that he's, he's, he basically shocks you and says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And you're thinking to yourself, you, I thought you were talking about marriage. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Because that's the reality that's going to be forever, is it not? What marriage is going to outlast all other marriages? Because what did Jesus say about heaven? They will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Because the ultimate marriage will be the one that lasts forever. Christ the bridegroom and the church the bride. Think about that. So we are little churches, so to speak, where we are, as families, making Jesus known in our marriages. Okay? That's the idea. But the marriage that's going to outlast all marriages will be the plan of salvation, which is the model for marriage from the very beginning of God's creation till the end. And what do you see at the end? We see, you know, in the beginning, there's Adam, and then Eve is made from Adam and brought to him. In Revelation 21 and 22, the end of the Bible, we see the heavens open, and Christ comes down, and then the new Jerusalem comes down, and they're wedded forever and ever. And that's how, that's how the new heavens and new earth play themselves out. All right, so let's go look at this word submit. Um, there are different words in the New Testament for submitting. And this word is the um, same word used in all the main passages. And it means to, yes, submit to, be submissive to, or to line up under, or to come under the rank of another It's the idea of a certain kind of an arrangement being made, and the one that's submissive is arranged under an authority. So there's an order to it, and God's explaining his order for us. Sometimes it's instructive to think about what word is not used. And there's another word, it's a synonym, and it's hupakuo. That's sort of the way the Greek looks, and if you are going to pronounce it in an English language way, the one that we're looking at, the one that's in the, in the wives submit to your husband is hupatasso, but this hupakuo, this word is, is stronger in the sense that it's used for um, children obeying their parents. See, there's a difference between a wife submitting to her husband. There's a different kind of authority that the husband has at that point. Children obey your parents. Stronger. Uh, Or slaves obeying their masters. Much stronger. Sad to say, that reality. Uh, And that word, that stronger word is in verse, uh, um, in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord. And chapter 6, verse 5, bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters. So 
And I, I, I picked up a quote from John MacArthur. Some of you have probably heard of John MacArthur. Um, he says this. I, I think it's good. I think it's right. A wife is not a slave awaiting commands such as, do this, get that, go over there, fix me that. Is my so-and-so done? She's not his slave. That is not what the Bible teaches. The relationship between a husband and wife is much more intimate, much more personal, much more inward. There's something that takes place inside the man and the woman. When God brings them together, he makes them one. You ought to take a look at that because Paul advances our understanding of Genesis 2.24. No, I'm sorry, not Paul. Paul does say this, but Jesus advances our knowledge, our understanding of marriage because Jesus, remember what Jesus says, the Pharisees say, is it okay to divorce and this and that? And Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning? Remember that passage? It talks about how God made them one. He said, at the beginning, God made them male and female, and he brought them together, and the two became one flesh. What God has joined together. Did you notice that? What who has joined together? What God has joined together. That is an advance on what we read in Genesis 2, 24. When you rightly come together as husband and wife, God has joined you together. So it's not just what the state decrees or the local church says, it's God who's involved in this bringing two people together like that. It's pretty awesome, I think. So marriage is much more intimate, much more personal, much more inward. There's a spiritual unity there, more vital than that. And that's indicated also, he says, by the phrase, your own husband, which I pointed out already. I want to talk a little bit about that in a, in a little bit later on, well, not much longer, of course. So we, we must keep the Bible's big picture in mind in order to understand the individual verses in the Bible, the individual um, commands of God and designs of God. <clears throat> so the big picture is Christ is the bridegroom, the head of the bride, and the church is the bride who loves her bridegroom and is willing to serve him, willing to um, be his companion and help him in what he's doing. And then again, the key word from, from the big picture is help meet. Remember the helper, comparable uh, Eve is the helper, partner, companion, comparable to Adam, just right for Adam. Um, she is suitable counterpart to him. Uh, she is what fits him. He is what fits her. Um, they come together and they become one. Um, the, each partner completes the other, and each of the partners is incomplete without the other. And that's that idea of becoming one. So now I would like to listen to the words of the passage uh, in Ephesians 5, to 24. I want to read it again, but I want you to look for the word as. Okay, let's look at this word as, because it's vital to rightly understanding the passage here. So wives, cha- uh, chapter 5, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So this isn't just about human authority. And this is about the Lord. And one of the practical applications is, your husband's not always going to act like Jesus Christ. 
I know that's a shocking revelation, sure, to most of you. But you continue to be the woman God wants you to be because of the Lord, even if the brute is acting like a buffoon. Okay? As to the Lord. It also shows you this is where marriage came from. Remember the Lord, the bridegroom and the bride. So then he goes on, he says, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is savior of the body. Now, a lot of times we husbands don't act like we're very interested in saving our, our wives in the sense of giving ourselves, loving them, and caring for them. This does not let the wife off the hook. It makes it more difficult for her to be the loving, respectful wife, but it doesn't say, all right, forget it, you're, you're impossible. No. Um, and then verse 24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So there it is, a, just as the church is subject to Christ, then the wives follow suit. So as your marriage and our roles are desi- designed and assigned by the Lord at creation and based upon salvation where Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, that's That's the picture that is given to us by God for our idea of marriage. And notice it says, it does not say, wives, submit to your own husbands, uh, for the husband is superior to the wife. Because that's that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not because the wife isn't as smart or isn't as gifted or isn't as worthy. Uh, or doesn't have leadership capabilities. I mean, no, that's, that's, we're both made in the image of God. It's because the father is assigning the role of his son to the wife or of the church to the wife. It's not meant to be demeaning in any way. In fact, I can tell you, I know a guy who's married to somebody who's a doctor, and he's not. And, you know, she's brilliant, and he's not. So, now Colossians 3.18, again, I mention it again. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, what else does that mean? It means that a husband may do something or require something that is not fitting in the Lord. And the wife must say, I respectfully decline or refuse. I cannot, I will not be a part of that. That's right. Because... As Christians, aren't there times in history where Christians have stood up and said, no, we cannot comply. We cannot obey the law. We cannot, that's an unjust law. It's a law that requires me to do something contrary to my faith in the Lord. So there may be a time where, as is fitting in the Lord, a wife has to say, hon, you know I cannot be a party to that. And it may not go well, I understand that, but... You've got to keep your faith and stand your ground. And then I want to go back now to this, to your own husbands, which seems to be a repeated refrain in these different passages as to your own husbands. So what that means is, ladies, you're not, not, you're not required to submit to every man or any man, but to your man, the, man, the husband you have chosen and the man you united yourself to by covenant. 
Now, one of the points I want to make here is that nobody forced you to marry. Now, I know there are cultures where that happens, but not here. And you've made that choice. And part of the word submission means it's something that you have willingly submitted to. You made that decision, you made that choice. So doesn't mean every woman is to submit to every man or any man, but only your man that you've been united to in the eyes of God uh, in, in marriage. So I want to give a, a fatherly, grandfatherly, old man's bit of advice to the unmarried here. Please be sure, without a doubt, that the man you marry is the man to marry. Because marriage is so powerful that it will determine in large me measure your future happiness or misery. Doesn't mean you can't be a happy person in a, in a, in a difficult marriage, but it's a lot harder. Because when the two become one, they're supposed to help each other toward the happiness that we can have in Christ. Marriage is meant to be a little bit of heaven on earth. And I know for a lot of people, it's turned out to be more like hell before hell. But I can give you fair warning. I mean, if, if I had been left to marry somebody I wanted to marry, of course, before I was a Christian, I can't imagine as hard as it's been for Nancy to live with me. Uh, but I tell you what, the Lord provided for me much better than he provided for her. Oh, you're back in the room. <laughs> I don't take any of that back because it's true. So please pray for her. So let me conclude. If we take scripture at its word, the relationships created in marriage and your roles in marriage are to be shaped by Christ as the bridegroom. So that's, that's, that's my calling as the husband, love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and the church as his bride. So I, I put it this way, obviously I'm, I'm a man, I'm not a woman, I'm a husband, not a, not a wife, but think of it this way, ladies, sisters. You can kind of put it like this in, inside your, your mind and your thinking. I am to fulfill my role as a woman married to Christ, submitting to my husband's leadership I'm, or headship as Christ's wife, the church, his body, submits to him, okay? So I try to think, you know, if I was in a situation where I was married, how can I put this so it would help me to fulfill my God-given role? So again, I am to fulfill my role as a woman married to Christ, submitting to my husband's headship as Christ's wife, the church, his body submits to him. Now, we know no believer, whether a wife or a husband or, or anybody, fulfills being like Christ uh, anywhere near perfectly, right? I mean, we're all so far from that. I mean, it's, sometimes it's, it's burdensome and wearisome, and I, I feel so convicted and sometimes even brought to tears. Lord, why am I not more like you? Especially when I'm in the middle of one of my flip-out times. Um, but or I should say, after I'm out of the middle of that flip-out time, because I'm not thinking right when I'm in it. So, but stop and think this. And, and sometimes when you're doing well spiritually, stop and think like this, because it will help you when you're not tempted to not do well spiritually, is to get that cemented in there, that 
like Jesus said, let these sayings sink down in your ears, let it get down into your heart. <clears throat> and then second, uh, by way of conclusion, second um, concluding point, sisters, your husband and your family is your ministry. It's, you're, not to, you're not to demean your ministry by thinking that it, the life is about something else or your life is about something else. This is glorious. Read Proverbs 31, for example. And, and go to Revelation 21 and see when, when Christ's bride comes out of heaven, she has the glory of God. That's, remember what I've said to you before? When the wife designs her bridal, bridal ground, it has a trail. No, is that? It's not a trail. It's called a train. Right, train. So, but that is, that is because of Revelation 21. Because when the bride comes into her own, she's, she's coming with the glory of God, and it says having the glory of God. So she's clothed with that, the clouds of God's glory. Now, you might be living with somebody who never gives you much glory, but your God will give you glory. He will give you glory. And you know, when it comes right down to it, if we live for people's honor and respect, that turns out terribly, usually, right? Let's live for God, because God will never forget anything that we do in Jesus' name. He even puts our tears in his bottle, right? So your husband and your family is your ministry. It is glorious. To marry is to leave your singleness, your independence, and your celibacy, and to give yourself to this one man for life. I know the world doesn't like this, and the world doesn't believe this, and they, they hear me say this, they're going to be rolling their eyes and worse. Don't worry about that. You have committed yourself to be his helpmeet and companion and partner for his good, to help him become the man God wants him to be. Now, I understand that's my job too, but we're in Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. So I'm talking about that. Now, Lord willing, what I'd like to do next week is I'd like to talk about what submission is and what it's not before we move on in the passage. What submission is and what it's not. I've found something I think is really, really excellent and really will be helpful to all of us, but especially to my dear sisters that are married or are hoping one day to be married. So I'd like to finish here and ask all of us husbands and wives, and those of you who are not maybe in that category, pray for us. For just a few moments, let's take a moment and commit ourselves, commit yourself to God's model for your marriage. Find yourself in, in him. And that is, husbands, uh, I want to love my wife and give my life for her. Wives, help me in the tough job of being submissive here. So let me ask you to take a moment and commit yourself to that as we finish our time together. Father, I pray that you would elevate in all of our hearts and minds the respect that we have for marriage. And that, Lord, we will see that marriage is exalted because 
It is designed upon the model of your wonderful son and his beautiful bride. Help us, Lord, in the heat of the moment to stop and realize this. Or when we're dismayed or discouraged or feel worthless or helpless or hopeless or stuck. Oh, Lord, help us and that you would cause our view to be an exalted view. That, Lord, even if uh, it's difficult, we might see the exaltation of our own role and our own place where we are here in this world. Oh, God, hear as I pray, and hopefully we all pray for you to do this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.